Welcome to the latest episode of Do You Know What? A podcast where three of us try and talk about irrelevant things when we've got really important guests. What have you been up to in the last week, Rebecca? I'm learning the accordion. You didn't expect that, did you? So a guy from my shawl was trying to get rid of an accordion and he said, would you like it? And I was like, well, if, you, if you're looking for someone to take it off your hands, yeah. So for the last week, I've been learning the accordion. It's great. I can nearly, nearly play Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. And how different is the accordion to the piano? To explain to others, you're a piano teacher. So how are you finding yeah, this? Yeah, I, I play the piano. So half of the accordion is a piano keyboard. So that's fine. I can do that. been doing that since I was three. Um, the other half is basically buttons to represent the chords. And you have to have your hands in a very kind of quite a tightly closed position. And I don't play the guitar, but I think if you were, a, I think somebody who could play the guitar and the piano fluently would probably find the accordion quite easily. So I can, I, I find the first, you know, playing the piano, fine. But it's getting used to the chords and jumping around between the chords where it's difficult. My left arm, I'm going to grow biceps. Charlie, uh, how's your last week been? You've obviously been on holiday, so I assume you've travelled the world. Where have you been? Oh, you can see that by my sparkling tan, can you, uh, Leo? I uh, have been on leave this week. It's been half term. And um, although half term is very like every other week, except for the fact that the children are not provided with activities by their school to do, um, it's uh, it's been nice actually trying to um, just find things to do in the house, go for lots of walks, get exceptionally muddy, bath the dog a lot. In fact, I got a phone call today from the water board saying we've noticed that you may have a leak. I was a bit worried. And then they said, or it may just be that you have extra usage in your house of water which seems much more likely given that continually we're all showering, bathing, the washing machine seems to be on permanent usage. Things like a bath actually become exciting um, during a day's activities. So I'm pretty sure that we don't have some major leak, but it's just the water board saying to me, uh, calm your usage down, Miss Viginsky. Did they detect that you've got uh, Doobie the dog and that that could be the issue? Um, yes, I think that is definitely half the issue is that the dog seems to spend part of his life. In fact, I think the reason that he so detests going for a walk is, or as soon as he sees the lead, he starts panicking, is that he knows that the resultant effects of a lovely long walk in the countryside is indeed a shower with three children and uh, two cats trying to get in on the air. So this week, I, I have actually been on tour. Uh, I was with uh, the JCM, the Jewish Christian Muslim Conference last weekend. And in that conference, we went on a tour of Jerusalem Old Town. And it was fascinating. It was a really, really good way of experiencing things. We had a, a virtual tour guide who took us around a lot of the things I'd already seen. Uh, but there were certain points, including going into the Dome of the Rock and things like that, that it, for me, I'd never, ever experienced. And it was quite a fascinating thing to see the other sides that you don't normally see. It's amazing. Wow. I was on a course with CCJ last week as well, the Council of Christians and Jews, and they did a similar thing from different faith perspectives of Jerusalem. And I lived in Jerusalem for many years. But yeah, the level of access that you get by being online and avoiding security and certain tensions is quite amazing. 
And actually, um, Leah, I wonder if that's a good entrance into our guest, actually. This week, we're joined by Ed Kessler. Ed, could you introduce yourself to the guests and what you do? Well, thanks very much for having me, Leo. And it's great to be with you, Charlie and Rebecca. Um, so, uh, yeah, what do I do? Um, my wife and children often ask me the same thing. But essentially, uh, I founded an institute. I live in Cambridge. It's called the Wolf Institute. Uh, and it studies relations between religions uh, and religion and society. And it's been going for um, 23 years now. Um, so um, my life is very varied, but I, I guess what I do is I engage and I learn about other faiths, which help me uh, understand myself better. It's not just yourself, Ed. It's kind of a bit underselling it. I mean, important that you understand yourself, but actually you help society understand faiths a bit better. And you had came really into many people's living rooms right at the beginning of, of COVID with exactly a report um, looking at some of these questions around faith and society. Yes, you're, you're, that, that's, that's very kind, Charlie. I mean, essentially, when I say I understand myself, I guess I'm saying that for all of us, learning about other people helps us understand about ourselves. Uh, and the report you're talking about was a survey of more than 11,000 people, one of the largest surveys of its type in England and Wales, where we wanted to understand what people thought about their neighbours in terms of ethnicity, in terms of nationality, and in terms of religion. And as I say, it was the largest of its type. And we produced a report called How We Get Along, came out December last year. And actually, we don't get along too bad. <laughs> and this is in the midst of all the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, and we're not talking about structural racism. We were interested interpersonally, the attitudes towards one another. Uh, and basically, with a number of exceptions, um, we actually are fairly tolerant and, in and inclusive. When it came, to, for example, to a question like, um, how would you feel if a close relative of yours married a another? And if we took the ethnic question, if you ask someone who's not black, how would you feel about if a close relative of yours married a black person? What we found is 76% of people I'd said actually, and it's anonymous, so they hopefully say what they really think, uh, that they felt comfortable and at ease with that. And then you would ask them questions about nationality. How would you feel if uh, a close relative married a Polish person or, or, or whatever. Um, and again, um, the uh, attitudes were fairly positive. But the bottom of the three, that was the surprising thing, was religion. Um, it really was the one that people felt most uncomfortable about. Um, they felt most, most comfortable about marrying a Christian, um, for those who weren't Christian, followed by Jews, um, followed by Hindus and Sikhs, but with Muslims at the bottom was really interesting. Um, so religion as a category was the least popular of those three. And within the religious, uh, uh, the number of religions, Islam was the, the one that was the one, I guess, that suffered the most in terms of being a target of prejudice. So, um, yeah, the report came out and um, it was very well received. We got quite a lot of interest from the BBC. In fact, we got a lot of interest all over the world. It's very strange since it was only England and Wales, but it appeared in Romanian and in Bulgarian and in um, the United States and so on. I was really fascinated about which bits the BBC and other media outlets picked up on. Mm. So you were on the Sunday morning uh, programme on BBC and uh, radio bits. And I wondered if you were interested about where they went with headlines 
um, or whether it was what you were expecting them to pick up on in the report. I guess one's always worried when you work in a field that we do, because you work in the field of religion, you guys, uh, as I do, except my work is between religions, and you worry that things may be picked up for sensationalization, you know, just to just to uh, generate the clicks um, and the um, and the different feeds. And actually, it was generally quite sensitively handled. There was a different report we did a few years ago that caused a lot more trouble, which we perhaps can talk about another, uh, later. But one of the things the BBC picked up on was the workplace. So we, we looked at um, we looked at the workplace, we looked at friendship, uh, as well as our um, societal relations, um, and they were particularly interested in the fact that the workplace is a is is a place of encounter. I mean, one of the things today in this COVID-dominated world we live in is that we don't tend to encounter people uh, as much as we did. And where we encounter them is at work. So, you know, you might choose your friends, but you don't necessarily choose your work colleagues. So it's at work that you meet people who are different. And by meeting people who are different, you are breaking down those um, stereotypes and those sort of particularly the negative ones of the other. I think that even goes further, doesn't it, Ed? Because uh, you have a lot of single um religion schools which actually break or try and block people meeting people from other religions and i've always been against that personally is that you don't mix and you see that and the same happens with single sex schools that you don't mix and when you don't mix you don't understand and then everything becomes a an alien concept to you whatever the other side of the wall is and being able to mix as i did which is going to a comprehensive school i'm sure there's differences and arguments against that but being able to mix around and being as you just said in the workplace environment and university environments and that is where people end up mixing first at a you know literally you're thrown in and said get on and meet with these other people if we create these barriers and some religions do this where they don't have any uh, mixing you have problems did that highlight in your report at all we didn't in the report look at schools and um we did in our previous report, which we can talk about, and that whole question of faith schools. But uh, certainly the idea of interaction and encounter and the sort of social contact theory, if you like, that you, you, you get to meet people and therefore that breaks down some of the, um, the assumptions that you might have had about them. And what we did find in the workplace are a number of people who we called the solos, that they were the only representative of their ethnicity or their nationality or their religion. And quite often, um, you know, the, you, you may, you know, there may be one Muslim or one Jew in the office and, and you're meeting that person. And so that solo almost becomes ambassadorial. It's like a shaliach, right, <laughs> in, in LJ language, uh, a representative, an emissary. Um, and that also breaks down. But you're quite right, Leo, that I think if we live in our... I wouldn't use, use the word ghetto eyes, but an insular way that we don't reach out, um, then obviously we're going to become more set in our ways. The faith school question is a different one. I don't know what your view is. I don't have a problem with faith schools. In fact, some of the best schools in this country are faith schools. The question is, the education that we give our children in those faith schools, whether they're Jewish or Christian or Muslim or whatever they are, do we give them an education that helps those young people come out and engage in wider society? And there's no reason why they don't if they go to a faith school. You could be as, as, as narrow going to a mixed school if, if, this, if the ethos of the school is not one to encourage some kind of encounter. I think the 
point is that sometimes the, the ethos of the school is controlled or managed by that faith and sometimes that works out really really well and as you say sometimes it doesn't and we've seen it on both sides to that equation i think one of the things you mentioned of there ed which makes me laugh one of the programs i'm watching back is uh, 30 rock i don't know if every any of you ever watched 30 rock and in 30 rock there is a character uh, known as tufa and the reason he's tufa is he's both black and he went to harvard so they got two for one in their in their um lists of things that where you have different characters and it is absolutely at times there do you think we are also going to suffer from the fact that we aren't exposed to people abroad now because of what was happening so were we going to get more xenophobia around that just because we are not traveling to france italy where etc and seeing people that we were seeing a year ago on the workplace even i mean you know ed's just been talking about how many people will only meet people from other religions or cultures in the workplace nobody's going well, no very few people are going into the workplace now and if that continues much longer is that also going to have a detrimental effect on our our levels of tolerance which did come through and i'd also add one other dimension which is i've been thinking a lot is about the encounter that happens so you mentioned about going on um, on these virtual tours leo but they are virtual. And is there a difference between the encounters that we experience face to face, literally face to face within the breadth of being able almost to touch each other and the, the difference of the virtual world? So I've definitely encountered more people by being online from all different countries and all different walks of life. But are the relationships that I'm building different and automatically less intimate um, because they're in this space? So if I can come back to you on, on a couple of those things, let's start with the last one because it's still in my mind, Charlie. Um, you took part as one of about 60 faith leaders uh, in what we produced was called the COVID-19 Chronicles. And it looked at um, religious communities' reaction to COVID-19 and how they um, retained and renewed their practice across all faiths. I mean, we're not just uh, Jews, Christians and Muslims, but Hindu, Sikh uh, and the humanists. Um, And what's so interesting, as you say, is that people created new ways of um, connecting. Um, There was a a binding. I mean, religion itself, we don't know what the root of the word of religion is, but one suggestion is comes from religiare, which means to bind, right? So there was this new way of binding together through this online digital community and and it was remarkable how close one can feel and yet one how distant one is. And that falls in, I think, into your, your, your second point uh, or the point that Leo made about travel. I mean, the irony is that there we were talking just before. Uh, I can't remember, Leo, it was before we started recording or at the beginning about you. Tra- it was the beginning of you traveling to Jerusalem. Right now, in, in your virtual tour of the old city, you may or may not have bumped into people. But the point is, we are connecting with people all around the world that we didn't do before, even when we could have done. We didn't do before so there are more people attending lj services than ever before that's right charlie isn't it it is right not only are there more liberal jews um perhaps attending lj services there are more jews of different varieties attending lj services and i bet you there are non-jews attending as well and part of the reason is it's it's not threatening no when i cross the threshold no one's going to come in oh welcome to the synagogue let me introduce you to the rabbi i just want to know the treasurer is our line on this program (laughs) become the treasurer next week (laughs) 
and if I'm a single man or woman, let me introduce you to someone. You know what I mean? And, and, and so it's non-threatening and it's easy and it's 24-7 and it's accessible. So the irony is, Leah, we do meet more people in a strange sort of way. And coming to Rebecca's point about the workplace, I think what's happening, Rebecca, considering that the, or hoping that the COVID-19 is going to be relatively short, in other words, a year or two rather than 10 or 20, is the workplace is changing. Already architects, we're working with one or two, the architects are refiguring what the workplace looks like because we will carry on working from home. We will, but we, we will want to get in the office. Some of us want to escape our domestic situation. Some just want to get the different varieties of experience and work. But the workplace becomes a place you want to go to because you need to meet somebody. So it's not just a place of work in the future. It's a place of encounter. And mm. that concept of the water cooler meeting or the coffee machine meeting, that's going to grow substantially if workplaces are going to be successful because we want to retain people. We don't want them to go. And if they're not very, you know, if the workplace isn't attractive, they will more likely leave. So the workplace, the design of the workplace is going to change as a result of COVID to facilitate meeting um, in, in the future. Which is a rather more optimistic view potentially of rather than seeing that we're all going to be siloed and not meeting people. In our lead up, we were thinking about about the things that we might talk to you about and immediately I flagged about building because I wanted to ask you about building because you've got this incredible space, really beautiful, very um, intentionally designed and you walk into it and I don't think Rebecca and Leo have been there but to go there you feel immediately what its purpose is almost and it's a very tactile building and I was thinking and you indicated you've been working with architects have you got a vision for how that's going to work going forward i'd love to hear a little bit about what you're thinking just for the the listeners maybe we i could just have a minute on what the building is so you can close your eyes and you can see it about six or seven years ago i was given the opportunity to for the wolf institute to have its own tailor-made facility in the heart of cambridge i mean it's it was a, a miracle it, it was a massive leap of faith because we had to commit to raising some money you didn't have um we managed to get there but what we wanted to create and and as as a founder you kind of you have this opportunity yet kind of unreal opportunity to create something um was a place of learning but not so intimidating like some places that you go in and immediately you're in intimidated because there are so many you know books everywhere or big pictures or, or things that, that you want a place of work learning that's attractive now the wolf institute is all about encounter we're interested in what happens when people uh, concepts um geographies meet we, we, we're not about teaching about judaism that's what you lot do right or my christian seminary down the road here or a muslim college They're, that that's their business what we're about the wolf institute is about understanding when they bump up against each other so we wanted a building that would facilitate that and because it's new we could create it you know environmentally friendly we could create it as bright and light we could create that you could bump into people now unfortunately in the covid days it's not so easy to bump into people but it's airy so i've had people in my my office with the doors and windows open <laughs> um, and and i think the future workplace will be led uh, not only by environmental issues and climate issues and the you know, clever use of materials and intelligence design but by encounter and by meeting and by people actually wanting to go to their place of work because hey it's a nice place to sit walk be work over the last 150 years you've seen workplaces evolve 
massively you know so 150 years ago workplaces were designed around the production of what was being produced which was mechanical or was engineering or was other areas like that and you're seeing the the changes i remember when i started in the workplace around the 80s that everything was around a desk with a telephone and everything was a about paper and telephones and that was it and typewriters and the din in the office was just typewriters going a thousand miles an hour and very little communication was happening apart from things being in there and we've moved forward and maybe this technology that we're now in at the moment is going to be a change for that but also as we come and bring this back into religion we're seeing that change in the way we communicate in religion and the way that we actually interface and maybe it's like we've just invented as they did at the time they invented telephones or they invented the tv etc maybe we've just invented this new medium or this new medium has become mature enough has come up become of age it's not so much we've invented the new medium but the medium has speeded up we've had to catch up with what's out there. Um, and so there seem to be three different reactions religiously or theologically, you might say, to the situation that we find ourselves in with the pandemic. The first is the, is the use of technology. We haven't created it. We're just exploiting it now. I mean, here you are. I'm sitting in Cambridge. You guys are sitting wherever you are and we're having this conversation, right? That was possible five years ago. It's just we're doing it now because we can't physically get together. So, so you know, we're using technologies um, in a creative way. The, the, the second thing is we are changing, we're changing our understanding of presence. So we're present right now. Theologically, you know, if you look at it philosophically, we're actually present, even though you are miles and miles away from me. And we're not present like I am on a phone conversation with that split second pause. You know, you're not quite sure whether you're replying or interrupting. We're, we're, we're almost we're almost face to face. In fact, we are face to face. We're just expanding our concept of presence. And that has big implications for rabbis <laughs> and religious leaders and communities, you know. And the third thing I think we're doing, and it's maybe too early, but we get a sense and, and from the COVID-19 chronicles and we're just publishing an article um, uh, academic article on this which is there's a renewal of religious practice i argue there are new religious practices the my co-writer uh, who is actually an orthodox jewish woman um would use the term renewal and that's just probably says as much about our theology as anything else we had josh edelman last time and he talked about the communities that want to use um different terms for doing the same thing mm. so uh whether it's innovation or you know adaption being very very different to like in terms of their own understanding of it exactly absolutely that. charlie and the language we use always is important whatever vocation profession that we have you know on this podcast got to use certain words that you know um push certain buttons or use the wrong words i mean to a jewish audience and this is mainly a jewish audience if i started using um islamic or christian doctrinal terms what's the point right you've got to you've got to be able to articulate in in a language that that people can relate to that's your job isn't it i think that what was interesting for me as i was saying i was was on this jcm conference and we had a juma service on friday we had a shabbat service on saturday we had a christian service on sunday and i've attended all of them before 
in different reasons. But when you suddenly bring them all to the same level, in other words, you're experiencing all three services through the same medium, the similarities become more and more apparent. And you're suddenly sitting there and you're going, it's the same Psalms. It's the same thing. You're saying that the same thing. It's different. It is different. I absolutely, and they're unique in their own ways and they are beautiful in their own ways. But also you're sitting there going, it's amazing. We're all adapting to this really in a you know different speed site slightly but it was just it was fabulous you're you you may remember john rayner he was the rabbi who taught me when i was brought up at the ljs and i remember him teaching about the democratization of judaism when the second temple was destroyed um in that judaism extended from being a kind of temple cult based religion uh, dominated by the priesthood to being a more democracy a de democratic faith tradition because it was dependent upon your knowledge nothing to do with your birth not even to do with your gender and i just wonder the revolution that we're going through at the moment is not about the democratization but about the equalization in other words, that we are all on the same level at the moment because most of us are taking part online. And yes, you do need internet connection and you do need a half decent um, microphone or whatever, but you don't need the best of the best. There's a kind of equalization going on. And that gives a real opportunity for those who are innovative and creative and entrepreneurial um, to reach an audience that hasn't been reached before, that hasn't been satisfied by the institution before. And I just think it's right now we're seeing that equalization. What you experienced, Leo, at JCM, um, and I guess it was it, were you face to face? Were you actually physically together or was it online? It was all online. So, right. well, that there were and they were in different countries around the world so jcm is run is anglo-german event so um they're people from around the world including indonesia and it was just fascinating at seeing as you say the equalization one of the one of the great things is to be seeing this service in indonesia uh, a christian service and then they look out the window and you go that's not the view that we've got. Uh, whatever I may say, the view outside our window is it's not mountains with uh, with mist rolling over them that they have. Um, and it's just wonderful. Is there um, a risk? Sorry, I'm just going to be a bit e about this now. Is there a risk that we're talking about this sort of being a great equaliser, a great equaliser, a great leveler? And we touched upon that as well, I think, last time when we were talking with Sean Berry. But is there a risk we're leaving different people out now? people who are not feeling comfortable with technology and that might be an age thing it might be an access thing if they just simply don't have the the uh, connections or the quality of kit particularly maybe people in rural areas who have poorer broadband and people who just it doesn't do anything for them they want the face-to-face -face contact I mean I know at our shul yes we've reached a lot of new people but there are people who would have been regularly coming before who we haven't seen at all for the last year because they just haven't wanted to come online and they haven't wanted to join us. So how do we make sure we don't exclude different people? And I want to add one more thing into the mix, which is the burnout, which is, you know, I love the way that Ed talks about the opportunities of being creative and but that's exhausting. Um and something I'm seeing a lot with our clergy is, and, and not just within uh, Jewish clergy, but also with my Christian um, colleagues and, uh, and uh, Muslims as well, is that they're just run down. And that level of competition, I think we've got to acknowledge that underlies some of this, which is 
it's not just about the collaboration, it's also about the competition. If you can access loads of different places, it means that some places get excluded by being left behind and people continually feeling like they have to play catch up. So I think that there are a lot of potential people who are left behind or just exhausted. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, um, Rebecca, to raise the question of whether other hierarchies in some ways are being reinforced by a different sort of um, discrimination, a different form of marginalization of people. Um, it's not always the old but often is, mm. you know, how do I click mm. on this? How do I access mm. that? You know, the computer tells me the other. And that affects not just uh, parishioners or members of communities, but also the clergy, the ministers of religion themselves, who may or may not be au fait with different technologies that are available. And sometimes the technologies um, uh, articulate religious differences. So uh, to put it in, in um, you could have a YouTube service which is all pre-prepared and beautiful, like the LGS service. It's really beautifully done with Igor, you know, who's, who's technically very competent. And, and it's absolutely beautiful. It's the opposite of messy, right? You, you wouldn't put messy and Alex and Igor in the same category, right? Um, but there are other, other uh, communities which are more Zoom-like and chaos, and someone comes in and says, mute, mute the button, or, you know, oh, is she started yet? You know, and it's actually... With that the Jackie Weaver with synagogue life. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to mention any names. But actually, there's an intimacy to the messiness. And they also, that's also theological. You know, there's the approach that you take so yes you're absolutely right there are you should never listen face to face is always going to be better always mm. you know yeah. the physical the, the, but we are able to do nearly everything in it so but yes there are groups who are not part of this process and going on to charlie's point absolutely right the concept of the worry of burnout and this is something that all ministers of religion are really struggling with now because suddenly the communities have discovered there should be 24 7 access mm. <laughs> you know, you might be able to turn your phone off, but hey, I can send an email and you should get that. I know you're going to get it, Charlie, and I want to know why you're not replying straight away sort of thing. So as a result of that, um, there is a need for communities to take communal responsibility. I often think it's great not having a rabbi because it means the rest of the community have to deliver the sermons, the services, the, you know, the, the, whatever the communal activity is. And that means that we're all responsible, right? Um, it, it's harder for those faiths that are sacramental that require a religious leader to deliver certain practices and customs and, and, and rituals. Um, but that's not the case with Judaism. But you're right. And, it, it, and it's not just uh, Jewish clergy who are struggling with it. I have a Hindu friend in Oxford, um, and now his um, community that he's responsible for can access temple worship in India 24-7, right? And now, how can he compete with that? <laughs> we are coming up to the anniversary of this all starting for the lockdown. So really, I think it. I think the last synagogue services were the 14th of March off the top of my head. Yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, you know, that was the day that the last Saturday or Shabbat service was in in the, in there, and it's not long away now. It has been noticeable, particularly I think in this last lockdown, uh, how distant it's become. It's almost become a you've become resigned to not even thinking of going down the road, and I think that's become worse. It's become much harder, I think, in this last lockdown, as it just feels like it's now forever. Well, we're starting to plan our next our second Pesach online now. And there's something 
intensely depressing about that because I don't think any of us thought when we were doing our Pesach online last year that we'd be doing it again. It was all, oh, next year in Thames Ditton, ha, ha, ha. No, 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 it's next year back here in front of your screen. I mean, we're going to be doing it differently and we're trying to think of lots of creative and innovative ways that we can make it different, which is obviously going to require a huge amount of, you know, time and effort from a lot of people. But it's, yeah. Well, if you come full circle back to where Ed started us with about encounter that the longer that we do spend the time in our home offices if we're lucky enough to have them or you know inside space you kind of touched on it there Rebecca about the reluctance to even go down to the end of the the road that um talked a bit to a bit like Stockholm syndrome you know that you become kind of so concerned with being inside and in your own space that getting back into that sense of encounter I think is hard and so even though the anniversary is it feels very weighty and very difficult it also feels equally difficult I think for people to even conceive of the idea of getting up the motivation (laughs) to be back together in numbers I think it's not just the fear of of catching something it's also just the fear Ed you said your last report was done at the almost at the beginning of lockdown or was that was when you produced it do you see yourself producing another report uh coming up shortly yeah we'd like to do the same similar type report every two years and to monitor the sense of inclusion and exclusion whether people are feeling more or less tolerant of our neighbors so over time we'd be able to you really get a sense Mm. of that um that continuity and this was the first ever report done of its type so um we would hope to produce another one in 2022 do you have any uh, contacts in other european or international countries that do similar reports because when you were first talking about the report and about actually we're, we're a pretty tolerant bunch um i was thinking would what sort of results would a similar survey have got in somewhere for example france germany spain some of our european neighbors it's a really good question rebecca the the, the issue in say france is that our concept of laicity is very different from our concept of the place of religion society in the UK. So there's a real debate going on in France at the moment about what is appropriate and what's not appropriate as a French man or French woman. What can I do? Can't I do religiously? What can I, how can I dress? How should I not dress? Uh, And, and it's a real debate. It's a live debate because it plays into the challenges of the um, decolonization of France with North Africa and the Algeria um, and the, I mean, France has the largest Jewish community, as you know, there are half a million Jews in France, um, but the largest Muslim community, about six million Muslims. And, and many are caught up in the banlieue and social economically deprived areas who are deeply frustrated. And a lot of that anger comes out uh, in terms of could be anti-Semitism or anti, um, anti-Western. And, and of course, so we have to be a, a survey like ours can't replicate something no. if we ask the same questions in france or germany is another place altogether again you know 2013 to 15 one and a half million immigrants arrived in germany um completely changing society it's remarkable how germany has managed to digest as it were um those vast numbers with very little violence i mean if you think of if a million and a half people have come over a two two and a half year period to the uk um i, I think we'd have a lot more 
a lot more trouble. So um, the answer is it needs to be done, but it's not so easy to make those comparisons. Now, in yeah. the States, there isn't, has never been any national surveys, but there have been regional ones, state-led surveys, which are not dissimilar. Um, so, um, But we'd like to see this. This was a, an innovative, creative uh, initiative, and we'd like to see it repeated every, uh, every couple of years. So that's what we'd expect to happen. The, the previous one that we did that I mentioned earlier that I think would tickle Leo in particular um, was we commissioned uh, in 2015, uh, convened a commission on religion and belief uh, in British public life. And it had various um, themes. It ran for two years and we had hearings up and down the country in, in Belfast, in Glasgow, in, in Cardiff, in London and, and various places, interviewing local you know, local councils as well as faith leaders, the police and so on. Uh, but one of the areas, Leo, was about education. And the biggest division in the report, the biggest controversy, I feared when I went to bed the night before it was published, that our recommendation um, that the coronation, the next coronation should be multi-faith um, and that should involve these different communities. I thought the Daily Mail or um, various newspapers would really turn it into, you know, the coronization of the coronation. That, that, was my, was my, that was really my nightmare. What I didn't expect um, and, and <laughs> what I didn't expect was to be hit over the head by faith leaders, uh, some of whom are very close to our community, but shall not be named while I'm alive. Um, um, because we said that faith schools should have 25% of a different minimum of a different faith community. Uh, and it caused such a lot of upset across the faith communities. And, you know, not just any one and within the communities. Uh, and that's what caused um, actually it, that's what caused me to stop answering the phone for a couple of days. It is that fear of the unknown, the fear of other people, the fear of things that you can't control, the fear of uh, looking at this. I, I mean, I always find it from my own perspective. When somebody says this is the Christian way of doing things, it drives me up the wall because it's not a Christian view. It's a a, a view of, of looking after people is that view. And you just you're wrapping it in something. You're 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 trying to imply that the only way of doing something right is doing it according to your religion and in that right can is a universal thing it is not just about a religion leo leo you're on a soapbox there right <laughs> i may because, be i may yeah, be i i he don't agree with you i don't agree with you i mean i i may agree with what you said but i don't agree that was the cause behind it yeah the cause behind the controversy in my view and and certainly was expressed to me in fairly vociferous terms was um the fact that we have to look after our constituency it's not about condemning the other it's about looking after ourselves now you may say that's the you know the obverse of what you just said Right. But actually what what and there's some argument to that. If I'm a, without mentioning any and I'm not going to mention any names, but if I'm a Roman Catholic leader, then I my priority is to serve my Roman Catholic flock. And the schools that I need to provide are for the parents of Roman Catholic children, that those children have a good education. Now, before <laughs> before you come back to me, because I'm going to take a breath in a second, I promise. Um as long as I, as this Roman Catholic leader who shall not be named, can ensure that my children meet non-Roman Catholics in the school environment, then surely my school should be fundamentally dominated by that community. That's the argument. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going yeah. to sit back now. Are we not seeing that being played out at the moment? Are we not seeing certain countries in this world at the moment saying, we're going to have the COVID vaccination for our people and we don't care about others in the world. We're going to get 
every single person in this country in our country first our priority is ourselves now that does work in a way but we don't live in that isolation i'm not sure that i agree with either of you that that's 100 percent what's going on the image that comes into my head is um in prague where the church moved the synagogue next door's door to the side of the building so that people couldn't see jews going into the building That's the image that comes to me. Why? Because I think that there's a worry about what happens when we let the other inside in an intimate way of our practice. And we see it in Judaism, we see it in Christianity, um, that people worry about what what happens when we let a seed in. It's the intermarriage, it's the... Um, you know, we see it in the Talmud in terms of discussion over like of calling uh, converts or possible converts skin disease because of this idea that it will spread. That's the imagery that comes to me. So what you're saying is that although the Torah says that we should uh, look after our neighbour, what you're saying is that people just say, no, it's us first. No, what I'm saying is that there's a fear of what happens when you let your neighbour inside your door, that actually your neighbour... I, that there's an encounter that happens, encounter again, um, that happens that's that's got the potential to do damage to your sense of identity. So um, this is known as the state of fear, effectively, that you need an enemy for you for for somebody to operate. And America operated on the Cold War, which was a fake, in a way making an enemy of something out there so that everybody would do what they wanted by saying that the people over there you're a dirty commie if you are there and they, well, they or that run it's catching more than yeah. it's catching that it might water down have the potential to water down the essence of what you're teaching giving doing practicing so i'd like to come in on there if i can but rebecca <laughs> not sure whether you're gonna you want to say something no no go ahead please <laughs> i, I want to say two things right you, you you know you are leaders of the liberal Jewish community, and you will know that there's only one place in the Torah, the written Torah, that has about love the neighbor, right? In Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's everybody repeats it. But actually, how often do we take into account the fact that on 36 separate occasions, we're commanded to love the stranger? 36! Right? It's not a coincidence that there are 36 versus one. We just seem to remember the one. So actually at the heart of Judaism, of whatever shade and variety we are, it's around 36 positive commandments to love the stranger. And the second thing is about the issue of encounter. It does seem to me what I've learned in the time that you know I've been uh, working in this area, it's a fair amount of time now, that it is through the encounter that you learn about yourself. So it's not altruism. I don't want to learn about you so that, you know, you look better in my eyes. I want to learn about you because I can learn about myself more. That's what the whole Levinas philosophy is. You know, you look into the eyes of somebody else and you see the divine. And, and, and that is so vital. And it is at, on the one hand, the heart of all faith traditions about, you know, encountering one another. And yet there's this fear factor that, that Leo's touched on. Um, and we very easily, and part of the human condition allows us to fall into that fear factor. And part of what LJ, it seems to me, seeks to do is, is to actually be, you know, incredibly inclusive. Sometimes, you know, you, you may struggle to find the, the centrality 
right, of what we are, but this emphasis on inclusivity over and against the exclusive and the sort of, um, yeah, the the uh, rejectionist view. So, but that's where this current environment, and Rebecca touched on it very well, where she said that, you know, we are we're allowing other people are getting a priority over people in the past because you know the the barrier that was there or the communication and the ability for certain people to use the technology is is much higher than others but it always comes every move forward always comes at the detriment of somebody or something that always happens and the detriment and the at the moment has been that certain people are in certain pockets, ages or demographics, etc., are being left behind with this move forward. And that creates that barrier. I just think that the thing was that you're talking about here, Ed, is to me, the thing of what I enjoyed about the JCM event that I was at last week was to see all of Jerusalem and seeing the bits that up until this point have been excluded from me. You know, we went into the Dome of the Rock, which I've never been inside. You know, we went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. I have been in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. I have been to the um, to, to other areas. I've been to most of it. But to me, there was always that bit. It's like I can go everywhere around, but these bits and suddenly saying, I saw these bits that are bringing me together. And that to me until you actually walk in somebody else's shoes or see what they see you never get to see you never can feel the the bit that you want to feel absolutely and 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 my whole vocation is about that um so i've been fortunate enough to spend quite a long time at alaxa uh, and and sit on the esplanade during a riot um, which was really interesting to see it happen in front of you. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to engage with Christian groups who were in conflict over some aspects of within the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, you know, um, and you realize they're not so very different. We run a course on Muslim Jewish relations. I mean, it's running online now, but when I run it, I would get the Muslim students to read the JC. Can you imagine? <laughs> right? well, I think what it reminds me of is uh, when Goodness Gracious Me came out, which celebrated its, I think it was its 25th or yeah, 30th year, a couple, of, couple of, and you're like, the whole of this program is Jewish. And it's like, because he's going, but everything in this is Indian. And you're going, no, it's Jewish. It's all Jewish. No, no, no. And, and I tell you, every single group would be saying, no, that's us. That's us. That's us. Exactly. I want to hear what the Muslims thought of the JC. Ed. Well, I got the, the Jewish students. They used to be different Muslim magazines. They aren't really published anymore, but you'd get them to read, read each other's mm. you know, news. And mm. of course, it's the same. You know, Muslims are concerned. They might not call it anti-Semitism, but hey, for them, it's Islamophobia. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Palestine is central to Muslim consciousness as it is for Israel for Jews. I mean, I don't want to equate apples with apples, but the headlines are not dissimilar. And it's a bit of a shock for them, as it is when you read somebody else's. I mean, you know, there's a wonderful Greek Orthodox priest called Father Yves Dubois, who lives in Bath, and he gets the Jewish Chronicle every week, you know? And I said to him, Eve, years ago, he said, why do you get the Jewish Chronicle? It's a terrible read. You know, it's full of argument and strife and politics. I said, I have to read it for, you know, the work that I do, but really it's a bit depressing. Why do you get it? He said, ah, he said, it makes me feel better about my own community. 
It's very true. You said earlier, Ed, that you've been watching uh, LJS online. Where else have you been watching on during this time? Well, of course, I'm in Cambridge, Leo. So the Cambridge community is a reform community, right? So I have to, I have to, mm-hmm. you know, fly the flag for RJ as well as a LJ. I mean, my my heart, of course, is with LJ. But um, so in terms of um, in in terms of other communities, really, I've spent a bit of time looking at other faith traditions. I've spent a bit of time. I'm in in in, um, in Brooklyn, uh, looking at um, services there in the states. The great thing is you can go overseas, right? In fact, during um, I think it was Yom Kippur, I was doing the Yom Kippur sermon for Beth Shalom. So in 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 the living room was Cambridge, and Trish was following a service in um, Tipperary in Ireland because her interest is Irish Jewish stuff, you know. So that that's the thing you can. You can be very promiscuous today and nobody can catch you out. Well, it's been interesting for me this week because I had an article in the Jewish News last week um, talking about the intra-faith communication. And outside the services bit, the level of communication between the intra-faith stuff for me has been absolutely fascinating. I've got to know my colleagues in the Federation, which I, I... I'm not sure there's ever been a time when Liberal Judaism and the Federation had conversations. And uh, to get emails thanking me for the article addressed to Dear Rabbi Beginsky, I mean, for me, has been mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. And while I could dip into a service before kind of knew I could abroad, I'd never have had conversations cross, like within the faiths that has just been brilliant. I think the other thing I've seen is that there's been a shift, particularly in the orthodox side, as to the services of importance. And I think in particular, Havdalah has changed. What I see other, where I see orthodox, we've talked about this before, that I'm on Clubhouse. And when you see the use of Clubhouse for Havdalah across the world is amazing that we're suddenly bringing to that to life which is always seen as like the maybe in the liberal side a a much less of important part of the the weekend so i just think for anybody who's listening who might not know what havdallah is um, they might not know who clubhouse is but if they listen to a previous episode they will find out but havdallah is a ceremony that comes at the end of uh the shabbat so on a saturday night and part of the reason that it's been so accessible across the spectrum in the jewish community is because shabbat has gone out effectively And so you can use technology. And so it's been on Clubhouse, for example, a meeting cross-denominational because it's not just the progressives who can use their technology because for other spectrums in the Jewish community, they won't use technology on Shabbat. Do you all sing together on Clubhouse at Havdalah? I had Leo sing for the first time. Did you? I, I, I was only doing, the, do I was only doing the replies. Still. That was enough. <laughs> that was the first. That was a real Shehekianu moment. Yeah, absolutely. The last time you heard me singing in a religious context where you could actually hear my voice was my bar mitzvah. So uh, that was a long time ago. Um, Ed, We've just gone past Christmas. It's not that long ago uh, past. And you were talking about this. What was the findings from your Christian friends? How did they... Because we all saw it from our side that literally they locked down three days before. How, how have they found it? And are they sitting there because they've got Easter coming up and that is a really important part of their year. Yeah, well, just as much as um, we're talking about Pesach and, you know, the year's anniversary since, you know, the last um, uh, online Seder. Um, so Easter and Ramadan um, were dr- drastically affected um, for, for, for Muslims and uh, for Christians. Um, so in terms of Christians, you 
do have a denominational split as there is in Judaism. Um, so Orthodox services can't take place, as Charlie just said, because of the uh, halakha around electricity and light and so on. Um, and um, it's very hard to uh, perform mass uh, and the Eucharist ceremony um, when there's nobody there. Uh, and the sense of being a unity, as uh, as as the the church teaches, particularly the more traditional aspects of the church, that is Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, sharing the cup, you can't do that anymore. Sharing the body, you can't do that anymore. Um, now, the more uh, what you I wouldn't say liberal, but you know the sort of lower end of the church, Protestant churches, Methodist church, Presbyterians, and so on, they've carried on as normal and done the services and they've done moved them all on light, line, not dissimilar to um, to progressive Judaism. Uh, and their concern, as um, one Presbyterian minister put it to me, he didn't know whether he could attract back people who were sitting in bed on a Sunday morning in their dressing gown, having a cup of tea, following the service. Would they really want? to go back into the building uh, when it was possible. Now, Muslims, uh, interesting, they also haven't been able to do services and congregational prayers like Orthodox Jews, not for reasons of electricity, but because of the need for physical presence. So certain prayers in Islam cannot be delivered without the physicality of somebody else. So what you've had is this really interesting move into the home of communal of, of prayer, if you like. Now, traditionally in Islam, the home is the space for the mother, for the woman, right? Um, and without getting caught up in issues of gender politics and so on, what what's happened um, is that the the woman's role for many Muslim households has become more significant in COVID because that's their space, and that men, Muslim men who traditionally would have gone off to the mosque for their prayers, can't do that because they can't go to the mosque, but they have to do it at home and that space isn't dominated by them so some really interesting equalization going on within the muslim household and you can speak to uh, female muslim leaders like uh, julie Sadiqi or saeed avasi who've kind of to talking about the impact is having on gender issues within islam so all of those things are going on in in those faith communities so bringing this all around in all the areas that you've talked about ed do you think we come out of this weaker or stronger oh, of course we come out both don't we leo that's the answer you're getting from me for that one one um stronger in the sense that we've we we found a connection with one another that we didn't realize was there and that there was the initial you know clapping and the, the nhs and helping each other and the sort of responding to being good neighbors which has dissipated in the last six months because it's no longer so novel but more connected in an unexpected way in terms of um communication and visiting the old city with muslims and christians in a way that you leo had never done before weaker in the sense that we are more alone. We have all ha have experiences of people who've suffered, maybe who've died, um, and that end-of-life moment is really horrid uh, in the COVID time when you cannot be with a person who's dying, you can't minister them. And when it comes to a funeral, it's just maybe you and the deceased and a few others. It's, it's desperate, um, and, and that is incredibly harmful. And harmful not just at the end of life, but at the beginning of life. How many grandparents haven't seen their grandchildren? How many uh, young people are being brought up at school, in primary school, saying they've done very well by not touching anybody else, by not hugging anybody else, by not interacting with anyone else? They're getting good marks for that. You know? uh, so the, 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 there's a lot of damage. And the third damage, I suppose, is the mental well-being for all of us. One of the members of uh, the team at LJ was saying yesterday that it will be his son's third birthday before he actually has a proper 
birthday party. And those of us with kids will remember that the first two or three birthday parties were nothing to do with the kids. It was to do with you mm. and making sure that there was a, a, a room full of balloons and a room full of this, that and the other and a, and a cake to be squashed. Um, and, and that's all been lost and it doesn't come back and yeah. it, it, you can't put it back. But what does need to happen i think this is one of the challenges that perhaps we haven't realized in terms of faith traditions and and you as faith leaders and and rebecca hinted at this which is how to bring people back step by step the 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 idea that we suddenly go out hugging people on the street and and return to um you know 2019 is that that's not going to happen so how can you as faith leaders encourage people to rediscover those attributes of what it is to be human and to be part of a community and to 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 live with one another that 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 that, there's some way to go from the sublime to the ridiculous really ed which is that sitting with all of that one of the things that we've really noticed during this time is that we are accessing different literature uh, tv programs films series podcasts and one thing we always ask our guests on these uh on this show is is what are you listening to what are you watching what's what's on your uh, playlist yeah, what, what does that what does an academic do to chill out <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's that's such a um, a good question. Um, what what do I listen to? Well, obviously we have our own podcasts, which I have to listen to. So I'm going to drop a little plug in for that Naked Reflections, which is our yes. weekly our mm-hmm. weekly podcast. But the sorts of podcasts that I listen to, um, I listen to Desert Island Discs which I really enjoy. And it's just a perfect length. I'm an Arsenal supporter. So I listen to the Arsenal podcast. Yeah. Um, from um, one or two of the fans. Um, and then other podcasts I listen to, um, Talking Politics, um, which is a Cambridge University one. Yes, I listen um, to that one. And also Naked Scientists, who we work with with Naked Reflections. Um, so, you know, there's only so many podcasts you can listen to. Do you know what I mean? Um, but in terms of r- relaxing, I'm a bit old fashioned like that. In, in my household, um, the house begins to settle about 10.30 at night. And that's the time I will pick up a, um, a biography is my favorite literary genre um, because you can learn so much, not just about the person, but about the content context in which that person lived mm-hmm. um so i'm just uh, reading through loads of biographies which sounds really boring i know to your listeners perhaps but anyway that's what any that's recommendations what I for them i just read jfk the new biography of jfk fantastic if you're interested and it's, the, it's a two-part um the first part's come out the first half of his life through to um uh, um before he became president um uh, Samuel Pepys um, biography, but you know, I, I, I had fun reading Golden Meir and Yasser Arafat one after the other, um, and um, Gladstone. I'm reading at the moment. Um, oh, of course, uh, you know, got to get through Stalin. You know, he's got some depressing ones as well. Um, so Cromwell. Um, Gosh. So yeah, uh, Richard Cromwell. How is- much time do you spend reading? every day ed to get through all of those books rebecca's asking because she's doing a the 10 page challenge so she's reading 10 pages of a fiction book at one end of the day and 10 pages of some more factual biography sort of genre at the end of the day it's a way both to read more and keep keep off twitter yeah no (laughs) that's fantastic that's fantastic to answer that question i had a fear 
when I, I, I used to work in the family business uh, before I came to do a PhD and then set up the Institute. Uh, and I had a fear that I might be some of my, like one or two of my lecturers at Leeds University when I studied uh, theology and Hebrew, who were 20 years out of date because they stopped reading once they became a lecturer, right? Because right. they were so busy yeah. with this, that and the other. And so everything became dated. And I thought, I am not going to be like that. I probably am. But I thought I'm not going to be like that. Um, so how much do I read a day? I don't know. Um, it's, it's different in the, the vacation period, but mm. during a normal term time, I would try and read a chapter of something a day. It could be an article, okay. it could be a chapter of a book. And yeah. then when it's the holiday time, then I will pile through books. So I'm going to take that, that you've been doing autobiographies and take it in a completely different direction, which is I've been watching The Great at the moment. I don't oh, know if I've any of you have seen this. Yes. Um, supposedly, it Very says, it says um, you know, the true story of uh, Catherine the Great. Uh, and some of this happens, maybe, I think is what it yeah, says. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very funny. It's very, very Mirren? funny. No. No, no. it's um, something Channing. Oh. It's really good. It's it, it's Channel 4 and it came out middle of last year in America and it's just come out here in the UK. It's scurrilous, isn't it? Yes. It's, it's very funny. It's very scurrilous. I think the guy who plays uh, Peter who's not Peter the Great, he's just Peter, yeah. is fabulous. I mean, he's hilarious. And the Oedipal issues that the guy has, I'm not going to say too much, but okay, <laughs> you know, so having I watched it, watch you'll know what I'm talking next, about. Uh, but the way that they deal with his Oedipal issues I think, is I think it's basically a, almost hilarious. a modern day version of Blackadder. If you liked Blackadder, but it's not that level of humour, but the the wit that sits behind what happens in Blackadder. In other words, just taking what was normal then and just changing it around. They're just exposing the, the way the world worked at the time that just is so alien to how we work now. Let me, let me confess. Can I make a confession, confession? I wouldn't... <laughs> about the, the sorts of things that, that I will watch rather than read. So um, Trish and I would, the, 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 the one we, we would watch would be Curb Your Enthusiasm because the humour yeah. is so painful, so painful. Um, <laughs> but it, it would be just enough to take the edge off whatever uh, was going on. And actually the other things that we, we do watch uh, are um, the sort of Nordic Noirs. There's right. some fantastic series out there at the moment. Have you got any particular recommendations? Because well, I was actually looking through a few the other night and I just didn't know where to start. There were too many of them. Well, the Danes do it really well, Rebecca. Okay. So yes. we watched The Investigation, okay. um, which was like a five, six part about the uh, killing of this woman on a submarine a few years ago in Sweden. I don't remember. Okay. It was really very, very well done. Um, and if you can cope with the gruesome things, then obviously the killing and the bridge and stuff like that. Hide I did watch a killing, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, there's something called 12, uh, which is about a jury case. I think that's from Belgium. And that was it's quite fun watching continental ones because yeah. it's, it's sufficiently different that you're learning about what's going on. Uh, but also it was really gripping. Yeah. So uh, Although my parents are obsessed with French comedies. And every time I try and they make a suggestion, it's just it's uh, I can't get on with it. And it's become a running joke in our family is every time my dad suggests something, it's like, is it in French? It used to be, is it about the Holocaust? And now it's, is it in French? Which tells you probably everything you need to know about my family during uh, the lockdown period. It's been fabulous having you with us today, Ed. Um, for those, apart from your podcast, where else can people find you? Well, Wolf Institute, W-O-O-L-F. 
Um, so uh, www.wolf.cam.ac.uk is where the Wolf Institute is based. Uh, obviously, I have a Twitter handle um, and the various podcasts, the A to Z of the Holy Land uh, and Naked Reflections, which you can find on wherever you access your podcasts feel free to be in touch it's been a pleasure talking to you guys rebecca where can people who want to follow you listen to your rants i'm much less ranty now i'm reading more books um but i'm on twitter at art singerman and also you can follow my shawl which is at kingston lib shawl as i run their accounts as well and charlie now you've had a week off relaxing and being refreshed where can people find you um so on twitter i'm rab charlie and on facebook as myself also on clubhouse in the same uh, way and always hanging around the liberal judaism website which is www.liberaljudaism.org and for myself you can find me on wfc kigo on twitter but as i've always been an audio person uh, clubhouse has been a really interesting environment for Check me him out singing at half dollar singing half dollar that was to. last week uh, you know <laughs> the good thing about clubhouse is once it's gone it's gone so you missed it and it's probably never going to be repeated so that I'm was have something to start stalking you so i can listen it. to you sing hey, i got my twitter handle wrong this is terrible oh, i should really know what my name is it's, it's <laughs> i just had to look it up while you were talking um it, it's kessler underscore ed oh, okay go. but that yeah. shows that you have a healthy disregard for being on twitter ed, which is probably good <laughs> or he's just contrary all that <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. We'd like to say goodbye to everybody and see you all soon. Thank you so much for joining us, Ed, and thank you and goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.